God, we want to be where you are, God. Lord, our heart yearns for you tonight. God, as we come before you, may you continue to just spark our heart for you, God. Set us on fire, Lord. Give us a passion for you alone and nothing else, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you bless your word tonight. Bless, God, your, your voice, God. May it come through your word. And may it come into our hearts and speak to us. So I pray for your spirit to anoint us right now. And we thank you, God. Thank you for this moment we have right now. At this time, God. Wednesday night, Lord. God, it's special to be with you. And it's special to be together. And so touch, Lord. Speak, God. Be with us. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you can grab your Bibles and open them up to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Aloha to you guys here and online and um, welcome to Upcountry Calvary Chapel. We're going to continue our study here through the book of Acts and we've been making our way slowly here and uh, I'm just so blessed that we can gather together tonight. Um, uh, we might, well, hopefully we'll have a little time to pray as a, a body um, at the end. Uh, you guys are smiling back there. Oh, we'll see. But, um, you know, I was thinking about just uh, what's been going on with Israel. We continue to pray, you know, what's going on in the world uh, in the Middle East. And um, there's just um, so much as I was talking about Sunday that, you know, this could be a step into Easy, the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38, where Russia leads the Arab nations together in attacking Israel. And I believe that's going to be really right after that, God's going to save Israel. And right after that is going to come the seven years of tribulation. And we could be right there. You know, there's a, a lot of, um, of these Muslim nations calling, you know, on everyone to be together and and uh, even U.S. is stepping in there, and that's kind of, mm, Egypt's like, oh, we don't want to open borders, you know, down south, because, oh, then, you know, we, we don't want to put ourselves into the war. But I've been hearing things like Turkey really voicing against that. Of course, Iran is um, known to be behind a lot of this. Um, and, of course, Syria, Syria and Iran, Turkey, they're all part of those nations that would come. And so we'll see what happens as they're uh, talking about ground assault, assault, you know, and Israel's been warning, hey, you know, get out of uh, northern Gaza Strip because we're going to come. So we're in interesting times, aren't we? Yeah. But we're in exciting times at the same time because the Lord can come back at any time. And so I pray as we get into the word tonight that, you know what, that your hearts would be stirred, you know, for Jesus even more and even more so to live for him. So as we come into chapter 15, uh, our title tonight really is what we've been seeing last week. Our title is Grace is Free and we're coming into part two. We're going to be studying Acts chapter 15 from verse 12 through 21 tonight. We're going to take the next section here. And as we come into this passage, understand that there's been some things going on with the Judaizers bringing in this, this, this uh, really false doctrine that you have to be circumcised, follow Moses' law, in order to be saved. Not only Jesus Christ, but also adding those things too. So as we come into this, we're going to be talking about grace once again. And we're going to be looking at how the early church handled this. Now, just by way of introduction, I have a little joke. Why did the police arrest the turkey? Well, it was suspected of foul play. Dun, dun, dun. Now, 
True story. There's this article. Larry Riddle of Billings, Montana was probably wondering if there was any foul play, so to speak, when he was pulled over for a traffic violation. Instead of getting a ticket, the police officer gave him a turkey, lo and behold. A businessman, this is like during Thanksgiving several years ago, bought 20 turkeys for the police to give out for the Thanksgiving holiday. Funny thing, Mr. Riddle said, well, I'm going to commit some more moving violations because I need a turkey not just for Thanksgiving. I need it for Christmas, too. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Well, think about this now. If the police officer gave him a ticket for his traffic violation, right, that would be justice. If the police officer did not give him a ticket but allowed him to drive away, that would be mercy. Uh, but... When he didn't have to pay for a ticket and didn't even get a ticket, but he got a turkey instead, that's grace. I remember Pastor Chuck always saying uh, this, justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So I love that. You know, it really defines what justice, mercy, and grace is. And we know that's what God's grace is all about. It's undeserved favor. We define it that way. It, it's something we receive that it's, it's a gift. You know, it's nothing we worked for. It's nothing we merited for. It's, it's not even because um, we get less of something because we did maybe make a mistake or fail. I like something the author Philip Yancey said. He said, grace means there's nothing we can do to make God love us more. And grace means there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. I love how that's put. So understand what grace is as we come into this passage today. So we return here, part two, grace is free, part two, Acts 15, verses 12 through 21. Now we're going to pick it up after we finished off in verse 11. Now our outline we started last week is this. Uh, the dissension, the difference, the discussion, and the decision. So last week we saw the dissension, verse 1 and 2 of this chapter, where, as I mentioned, the Judaizers came. These Pharisees, these Jewish guys who, who believed or seemed like they believed in Jesus, but they came in, okay, Jesus is great, but you got to get circumcised. You Gentiles need to be circumcised. You need to follow the law of Moses. And so they brought in this dissension into the church of Antioch where Paul and Barnabas had just finished their first missionary journey. It was a great time. They're sharing about what God did, revival, Gentiles. And then these guys come up and they bring in this dissension. And then, so because of that, Paul and Barnabas, the church sent them to the church in Jerusalem. So they went on their journey. On the way, they stopped at different uh, churches on the way and they ended up in Jerusalem. And I, I called this next section, the difference, verses 3 through 5, is because as they traveled, they began to share in the different churches. And even when they finally arrived in Jerusalem, the great thing that God was doing in seeing Gentiles being saved. Now, this is the early church, remember. And at first, it was just the Jewish guys, right? But they went out, as Jesus called them to, and they began to go out in the surrounding areas. And Gentiles now were being saved in Jesus Christ. But then we saw, right, in verse Five, that some believers who belonged to the party of Pharisees rose up and said, no, you got to be circumcised. It's great. All right, they're, they're coming to the Lord. But you know what? Gentiles need to be circumcised. They need to keep the law of Moses. And as I mentioned, they kind of rained on the parade in that way. So then we came to the discussion, verse 6 through 11. So a meeting was put together. Some believe it was whole church. Some believe it was just the apostles and the elders of the church. And they're all together. And they began to discuss these things. And from verse 6 through 11, we, we saw Peter's testimony. How he stood up. How he, he said, hey guys, remember? Remember early on? Remember 10 years ago? Remember, the book of Acts spans like 30 years, actually. And so it had been 10 years since uh, God had called Peter 
to go to Cornelius' house, the centurion, to witness to him. And remember, the Holy Spirit fell as he was sharing the gospel. Before that, that sheet came down. Peter, kill and eat. There's unclean animals there. No, no, I can't. No, what I say, you know, is clean. It's clean. It was all saying, look, it's all right. Go. Gentiles are going to be saved. So Peter's rehearsing that again. Peter's telling that story again. And he's like, look, remember 10 years ago, God already gave this revelation and already discussed that. This was, this was all done already in the past. So why should we now change things, right? Because the Gentiles were saved, what, without being circumcised. And so remember in verse 11, he says, We believe that we will be saved through the grace of God, uh, grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. They're like, why are we, we believe this? Why are we putting in verse 10, you know, this on them when we even had a hard time fulfilling it? So Peter stands up, gives his testimony of what God did 10 years ago. And this is part of the discussion. And so you remember that, that Peter, he brought up like what happened in the past. And we're going to see next what Paul and Barnabas brings up in the present. And then James is going to bring up what was prophesied for the future. So just to kind of categorize things in your mind. So the discussion started with Peter in verse 6 through 11. We're going to finish this discussion with Paul and Barnabas and James. And then we're going to go to number four and I outlined a decision. And we'll get to that later. So let's roll into number three, what we started last week, the discussion, the discussion. And as I mentioned, Peter testifying of the past, God already shown salvation by grace alone. And look, why do we have to bring circumcision, the law, the works Onto how God saves by grace. So Peter put all that out. So now we come to verse 12. Take a look at verse 12. Acts 15 verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent. They listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So we're going to stop right there. Now, next up. In this conversation, next up in this discussion, after Peter is Paul and Barnabas. Uh, notice here in verse 12, it says, And all the assembly fell silent. After what Peter shared, everyone's like, Whoa. And it's silent in there. They're soaking this in. It made sense. You know, the, the arguments against that they got to be circumcised, it, was, it quieted down. And so, now, at that moment, Paul and Barnabas, they stood up and they gave their recent report and happenings on what happened in this first missionary journey. And that's what we saw in chapter 13 and 14. We studied all of that. If you missed any of this or earlier in chapter 15, you can always go to our podcast or catch it on our archive video or of the service on YouTube or even Facebook. So we studied how in Acts 13 and 14, right, many Gentiles came to the Lord. There was, there was this revival going on. They, they ran into opposition, but God worked miracles. God, God kept them safe. You remember, uh, remember the healing of, of the man in Lystra, right? God did an amazing miracle to show the town, validate what Paul and Barnabas were saying. Remember even Paul was stoned to death. Or it seemed like he was mostly dead, right? I said, you know, when he was in Lystra. But, God, but he got up, went back into the city. There's so much that God did. And so they're sharing all these things, Paul and Barnabas, with this group, and how God worked these signs and wonders we read here, or miracles, what God did through them. Now, these miracles, these signs and wonders were verifying God's work, verifying God's message, verifying what Paul and Barnabas were doing in sharing Jesus with the Gentiles and how they were, getting, they were being saved. So that was part of this effort to prove that, you know what, what's happening with Gentiles being saved by faith, that... That's real. God is in it. God's moving here. You know, I, what I like is, is, is remember how Paul and Barnabas always gave credit to God? It wasn't us. 
You know, they, they always gave him the glory. They didn't even take it for themselves. Like in Acts 14, 27, right? They declared that all that God had done with them and, and that God had opened this door of faith. That's what we read in Acts 14, 27. Or in, in Acts 15, 4, just above here, when they came to Jerusalem, they, wel- they were welcomed by the church and apostles and elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. So Paul and Barnabas continued to testify to the fact that God was moving. God had done that. God had saved the Gentiles through faith. The miracles validated what they were preaching, what they were sharing, and the Gentiles coming to the Lord was all of God. They were truly being saved. And guess what? That's without circumcision. That's without saying, well, first you got to Follow the law, make a commitment to that. Then, you, you know, you got to get circumcised, then you're saved. That was without all of that. What came was the signs and wonders, was the miracles. Interesting, uh, Paul wrote in Galatians 3, 5, he said this, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. So essentially he's saying that what's happening here, what they're testifying here, that God has put his stamp of approval here. God is in the midst of this. So Peter talked about the past 10 years ago. Well, here's a recent experience. Here's a recent happening. They're testifying in the present of what God has done in saving the Gentiles. I'm sure Paul leaked out as they're sharing what he wrote so much about, right? Being justified by faith. That we are justified, we're made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. Like Romans 3.28 says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So these guys coming in, no, you got to follow Moses. No, you got to do the law. No, you got to go to the temple. No, you got to keep the Sabbath. No, you got to do the sacrifices. And you got to be circumcised like us. But as we mentioned last week, right? We're saved, right? By what? Grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's not of our own works, right? It's nothing we can bring to the Lord but through the work of Jesus on the cross. Remember, it's what he's done, not what we do, right, that saves us. And so these guys, in bringing in these works and, oh, you got to physically be circumcised, you got to do this, you know, they're they're saying you got to do something in addition to Jesus to be saved. But if you bring in works, then is that really Saved by grace through faith? No. Paul wrote in Romans eleven six. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. That's what grace is. And so it's going opposite of what God had done with the Gentiles. So here is the next discussion, the next step in confirming what Peter just shared, what Peter said in verse 11, that we're saved by grace. So the discussion moved into Paul and Barnabas testifying what just happened in the present. Salvation is by grace. So 10 years ago, God established it, gave Peter revelation. That's what he did. That's what's been going on. And now Paul and Barnabas are testifying what God just did. They, they went out into these areas that no one went. They were the pioneers on this first missionary journey. And salvation is by grace. During the Spanish-American War in 1898, Theodore Roosevelt came to Clara Barton of the Red Cross to buy some more supplies for the sick and wounded men. But his request was refused. Roosevelt was troubled and asked, Clara Barton, how can I get these things? I must have proper food for my sick men. He was the colonel over the army. Clara said, just ask for them, colonel. 
Oh, Roosevelt said, then I do ask for them. And he got them at once through grace, not the purchase. That's how it works in our salvation. It is a gift of God. Our salvation is not bought. It's not what we do. It's what God has done for us. So I know we, we talked about that last week, but we're back in this passage. I want to reiterate it again, and I want to set it deeper in your hearts because you know what? I believe just as these guys came in with dissension, yeah, trying to divide the church, coming into the try, trying to mess up these Gentiles and they're thinking that the enemy even today wants to infiltrate our heart, our minds. Get us thinking in that way again. Get us reverting maybe back. Maybe you grew up Catholic Church. Maybe you grew up in this works mentality. Maybe you were part of some religion and it was all about what you do to get to heaven. All What you do to be accepted by God. What you do to be loved by God. And the enemy can come in and get you to slide that way. But understand what grace is really is and when you understand what grace really is you are humbled aren't you i'm humbled to think of god's grace i mean i i know who i am i know my works are like filthy rags my my works i fail at yet god in his grace every day is here for me god in his grace he 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 meets me he strengthens me he helps me he answers my prayer god in his grace has brought Jesus into my life because Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And so the enemy, the devil wants to accuse you. Look how bad you are. Remember, that's what devil means, right? The accuser of the brother. He, he wants to accuse you. Look how bad you are. Look, look what you did. Look how you treated this person. How, look what goes through your mind. How could God love you? And he condemns you. And then we condemn ourselves when we forget. Okay, yeah, I, I did sin, but you know what? God's grace is here. God's love is here. He's still here for me. It doesn't condone our sin, but it helps us to get up, find God's forgiveness at the cross that we can move forward in God's grace. These guys are trying to put this trip on the Gentiles. right? Take away this blessing. Put on them this burden. But... God is stopping all of this right now. All right. So we had Peter talk about the past. We had uh, Paul and Barnabas talk about the present. And now as we move on, James is going to step up here in verse 13 to 18. And he's going to bring up the prophecies of the future. So take a look at verse 13. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that's Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with, these, with this, the words of the prophets agreed, just as it is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that's fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. So next up is James. Now, James, this James is the half-brother of Jesus. The apostle James, the brother of John, had already been martyred, if you remember, early on by Herod. Well, this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. He's the, like, the top leader in the church in Jerusalem. This is the same James that wrote the book of James in our Bible. So he steps up. And he says, look, look, you guys, you know, after uh, both Peter and Paul and Barnabas speak, finished speaking, verse 13, James replied, like, brothers, listen to me. He's like, okay, you guys, listen up here. We all know how God first used Simeon or Peter, how, how Peter related. He, he told us, and even back then, how, how when God first visited the Gentiles, he used Peter. To, when it says here to take from them a people for his name, in other words, to draw out these Gentiles who got saved out of all the other Gentiles. And so he's saying, look, we all know what happened here. We all see what's going on. And then it's like he says this, well, this goes along 
with what the prophet said. So when he goes into verse 13, he says, this is exactly what the prophet's been saying agreeing, just as it is written. And here he quotes, kind of in a paraphrase, Amos chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. And basically, what we read here in this section uh, of, of this, um, what he's quoting in Amos here in... Um, Uh, verse 16 and 17 and 18. Basically, it means that this was talking about looking toward the millennium time when Jesus returns, sets his kingdom on earth. God will have restored Israel and there's going to be also this remnant, it says, of mankind. In other words, Gentiles. That they may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles are called by my name. Who, whom God calls, says the Lord. From, and he's saying this from all the way from old times. So James is basically saying, look, look, we, we, what we see today, what we see at present time, what we see with Peter is actually the start of what, of what is going to be fulfilled completely in the end when the millennium comes. That's what he's talking about. And note that James is saying here, he's not saying, well, you got to be circumcised first or anything like that. He's agreeing with Peter and Paul and now bringing in Scripture and what's been prophesied about Israel and the Gentiles that you're saved by grace through faith. In other words, with this Amos prophecy, he's saying this is what God has planned in the future. Not only Israel to dwell with God, but the Gentiles too. When he says here in a, a kind of paraphrasing Amos here in verse 16, after this, the Lord saying, I will return, that's Jesus, I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, I will rebuild its ruins, I will restore. He's talking about Israel here. And you know, it's interesting that there's some groups that believe that God is done with Israel, that uh, Israel is, is not part of eschatology. They're not going to be saved in the end. God has put them away. They, anytime you read Israel in and, and end times prophecy, it's really talking about the church. That's what they say. They replace Israel with the church. It's called replacement theology. But here I'm reading, no, Israel will be restored. The tent of David talks about the house of David will be restored. His family will rule again. And who's that? The Messiah, Jesus Christ, will be ruling and reigning. And so the nation in itself will be restored. And then verse 17, again, is talking about the Gentiles. And this is what God has prophesied. Uh, where it says here in verse 17, uh, and all the Gentiles are called by my name. I like the NLT puts it, and all those I have called to be mine. I love that. Speaking about the Gentiles. Aren't, aren't you glad that we're part of that? We're Gentiles that have been called to, by God to be his. Oh, I love that. That God would love us. That even though God chose Israel, he loves us, Gent- us Gentiles, to say, no, I want, I, want, I want you to be mine too. That touches my heart, yeah? Especially to all us insecure people who are like, oh, somebody wants us, right? right? I mean, it, it just touches all of our hearts. That's grace. We don't deserve it. I mean, if anybody, okay, the Jews are God's people, but he says that to me, this is huge. So imagine this now. This is the early church, right? The, the, the gospel, Jesus, started with these Jewish people, yeah? These, this leadership was Jewish guys. Paul's Jewish. Barnabas is a Hellenistic Jew, right? But still a Jew. We have James. He's a Jew too, right? We, we have the apostles that are Jewish. These guys, Peter, Paul, Barnabas, James, they're all declaring, they're standing up saying, look, they're talking story on how, look, God is doing this thing. 
He's saving Gentiles. He's bringing Gentiles into the fold. They're part of the sheep of God's sheep. And God is the great shepherd. And you know what James is saying? God always had this in his plan. This was always something he was going to do in saving people in the world. And so with that, understand, just as Jesus saves us by his grace, so it is with the Gentiles. You know what's interesting here? It was the Lord in the Old Testament now that called Israel to be a light to who? The Gentiles. Is that interesting? Isaiah 49.6. Yet they failed in being that light. I mean, just in general, in their history, um, I'm reading through the Kings right now, um, First Kings, and then going to Second Kings, and you go in First, Second Chronicles. But you remember what happened? The nation kept going after the idols of the world. They 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 stopped following God. They drifted away from God. And what happened? Um, well, God had to judge them, bring them into captivity. So they failed as they went after the idols of the world, and. And rather than being a, 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 a light, they became dark. But what did God do? Babylon came. They were brought into captivity, right? They lost the nation. They lost their country. But then God restored them 70 years later. They went back to the land. And I'll tell you, from that point on, they never went after idols. It healed them. They went through all that. It healed them. But, they, they got into, rather than being light to the Gentiles, they separated themselves into being over God's people. We're the chosen ones. And they looked down upon everyone else. They made themselves to be privileged, a race that's superior because we're chosen. It's kind of like that saying, us, you know, what was that? Us four, no more, shut the door, right? You know, churches can get like that. So separate. Oh, no, we got separate from the world. Yes, but so separate to the point where, no, you separate yourselves and you feel, you, you, you carry yourself as superior or privileged. I feel like that's going on now in a sense, sadly. You become, we become like, oh, no, we believe only this about this political thing, or this happening. And we polarize, and we say, well, 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 you know, we'll let you into our little circle if you, if you think the way we think. Or we'll let you in our little gang, right? Can, can you see these Jews kind of like that? You know? Oh, we're local Jews here, Yeah. You got to be like us. You got to be circumcised that, you know, everything. And then, oh yeah, no, then you're part of the party. So you can see why these Judaizers were so taken back when all of a sudden here's Paul and Barnabas talking about, these Gentiles got saved. Whoa, this is so great. Wait, what? No, it's always been us and God, right? No, we're the ones. We have our rituals and rules and, and laws, and they got to do that. If they're going to be part of the crew, right? They got to be like this. No, no, you can't belong to the club unless you get circumcised. Do this ritual. Do the laws first. I feel like we live in a time like this. Darkness is creeping into many hearts. You got to be like that. You got to be like us, even in the church, sadly. The enemy is, you know, like sneaking its way in. I think we could learn from this that wait, we got to stop and think what, why are we putting some criteria on this other person? Is it really necessary? Is it really what God wants? 
Bruce Barton said in his commentary, when believers of different races, ethnic backgrounds, and social strata come together in love and worship of the Savior, nothing gives greater glory to God or provides a more compelling witness. Amen to that. Amen to that. So here's James reminding these Jewish guys, the leadership, the elders, that the Lord desired, even in the Old Testament, that Gentiles would be saved. Paul wrote in Galatians 3:8, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall what? All the nations be. Blessed. Isn't that what Jesus said? Go out to all the nations. Not go out just to the Jews only. Yeah. To everyone, Gentiles too. All right, so in this section, we see the discussion ended with James with the future prophecy of Gentiles being saved by the grace of Jesus too. That's what it's about. We're going to... Line up. We're going to stand under the banner that says we're saved by grace. We're saved by grace through faith. That's what we all line up with. We don't put other criteria and say, well, you, you could be a part of my club or part of my church or part of my little clique. Yeah, I'm for Jesus, but you got to be like this, like this, like this, like this. We cannot do that. We cannot do that. Herman Edwards was coach of Kansas City Chiefs in the in 1990s. And uh, uh, when he was asked about his thoughts of teamwork, this is what he said. The players that play on this football team will play for the name on the side of the helmet, not the name on the back of the jersey. I love that. Yeah. I, 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 I think the Judaizers, they were saying, oh, they're Team Jesus, but they really wanted Je- Jewish works, you know, on their jersey. Works cannot exist with grace. Understand that. In terms of salvation, it cannot exist. It actually cancels each other out. Years ago, um, I remember when when I first saw it, the technology came out. I think it was in the late 90s. I got it for traveling and going on mission trips. I I got these Sony uh, uh, headphones. Yeah, I don't know if there was earbuds back then. I think it was headphones. And uh, it came with this new technology called noise cancellation. <laughs> and, it, and you could like, I, I could travel on a jet plane and it will reduce that sound of that, you know, and, and make it a little more peaceful when you travel. And so how does that work? Well, it takes that frequency of the jet noise and it, it plays the like the 180 opposite uh, sound wave. Uh, a sine wave goes like this, the sound wave, and it's this, you know, the jet noise is like this. It takes an opposite, like a mirror uh, of that frequency, and when you put them together, it cancels that out. And, and so that's how you get, like today, even noise cancellation headphones or AirPods and things like that. Well, that's like grace and works. It doesn't work together. You can't put both together. It, it cancels each other out. If you try and do some work uh, and add it to grace, it doesn't work. You may think you feel better. You may think you're doing something. You may even be proud of it, but it cancels each other out. Some people, they feel funny when they can't do something. Yeah? Like... um, um uh, we had some guests over, you know, for the camp and everything. And, and it's like, oh, you know, let, let me pay or let me. Oh, no, no, we, we, we got it. We got it. Oh, no, no. You know, and, and then they're doing that to us. And it's like, you feel funny. It's like, no, I got to do something, you know, right? <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Sometimes we feel like that with the Lord when we don't fully understand what grace is. Remember, I mentioned last week, you cannot add to the cross. You cannot. I mean, think about when Jesus was dying on a cross and one of his last words were, what? It is finished, right? To tell us die. 
right? It's done. Contract. Paid in full. It is finished. He didn't say, well, it's almost done. Now you got to do your part. No. Pow. Done. We sing the song. Jesus paid it all. Do we believe that? We cannot add. And that's what these guys are doing. And, and, and God was showing us, showing here everyone that, hey, Gentiles are saved by grace too. It's not about these rituals. not about being circumcised. It's not about all of that. It's about what Jesus has done. And if, if we think we can add to the cross, well, Paul wrote in Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Or he died in vain, I think the whole King James says, right? So put that into your mind now and understand what this grace is. Understand what salvation is. Understand how we got there as believers. It's by grace through faith. So grace is free. You don't have to do works. So We've seen the dissension, the difference, and now this discussion, past, present, prophecy of future. Now we come to number four, the decision, the decision. And here we're going to take the rest of our section here tonight, verses 19 through 20. So it reads here, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. All right, so James now, as when he finishes and as the head of the Jerusalem church here, and it seems he was the leader over everyone there, the head guy, he now officially makes this decision. And he says, therefore, right? After all that's been said, after Peter, after Paul and Barnabas, after our discussion, after what I shared with you on the prophecy of the future, that Gentiles will be saved, therefore, based on all that is said, he's saying, look, my judgment, my decision is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. In other words, we shouldn't require circumcision. It's not right. We're saved by grace. This is not right. What these Pharisees who say they're believers are trying to put upon the Gentiles. Those Gentiles who turn to Jesus to be saved, no circumcision is needed, no law is needed. They are saved by grace to just like us. This is huge. This is huge. Here's this first major dissension going on in the early church. Satan tries to come in with these guys, tries to divide, tries to bring some false doctrine, tries to bring down salvation to what it is in all of its glory and grace. And now this is huge. It refutes the Judaizers here and establishes this official word, official doctrine, the issue of saved by grace. You don't have to pay for it. It's free. Grace is free. So that's established now. As he goes on, he adds a few things here. Now, we just read it. And you might be thinking, wait. Now, okay, we're not going to put any trouble and put stuff on the Gentiles. But then what's this stuff, right? Yeah, you're saved by grace, but you got to do this, this, and this. Yeah. So it's a little bit confusing. Like, wait, what, 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 what are you doing here? Well, it seems like James is adding works, but he's not. You know what he's adding? Love. You're like, what? Let me explain. Let me explain. These Jews now, they have been at this for a long time. Doing their rituals, right? Doing their prayers. I mean, this was in their heart. There's Jews there, probably in, in the best intentions, that they, they were still going, sacrifice everything. They're doing all this stuff. Jesus comes. They're still kind of trying to figure things out here. 
as you know, habits are hard to change, right? How many of you have habits that you want to change? And it's hard, yeah? Eating sugar, right? No, <laughs> you were saying, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's hard. Again, you feel like you're doing wrong or you feel insecure if you don't do it or, you know, you're just so used to it. So, so here's these Jews now. They're, they've, been, they've been just doing this and doing this. So all their lives have been trained up this way. They grew up this way. That's why if you look at verse 21, James is like, for from ancient generations. Now, going back from generations to generations, all the way to ancient generations, uh, they've been following Moses, his law. Moses had in every city those who proclaim him. Like every Sabbath in the synagogues, they're reading scriptures. They're reading the law. And that's what verse 21 is talking about. You guys, we've got to be compassionate. This is what James is saying. We've got to show love. These guys are steeped into these rituals. Uh, in uh, the NLT, verse 21 reads like this. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. So it's not like they could just chop it off and walk away from it. Maybe some of them could. But some of them couldn't. So, he's not adding works. He's adding love in this way. So to help these guys along, to give grace, so to speak, to not demand on them like they're trying to demand on the Gentiles, but to help in the transition to spiritual maturity and understanding the doctrine of grace and how we're saved, James gives these things for the Gentiles to help them not be stumbled. Paul clarified this in 1 Corinthians 10.23. If you remember when, our, uh, uh, when we studied, if you read this, he said, all things are lawful, right? He says, in Christ I have freedom, I could do whatever. But, he says, not all. All things are helpful to the other person, right? Not all things in that verse build up. That's what he said. In Romans 14.1, he says, Look, for the one who is weak in faith, yeah? Like they got to have these things, they got to do these things. He said, we don't want to stumble them. In verse 13 of Romans 14. But Basically, we want to be caring. We want to help them grow. So in verse 19, he said, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. In other words, we don't want to stumble this weak person. So a person who is a little more legalistic in the things that they do, well, got to be like this, got to be like this. We got to observe days and weeks and things like that. Paul calls them weak, actually. Because Paul's like, no, I have freedom. I can, I can do whatever. But you know what? I'm not going to use that freedom to stumble someone, to put them down. So that's the thought that's going on with these things. These three things is to help those who are basically weak, who are immature spiritually. So with a heart of love, James is saying, you know, we're going to give grace. We're going to help these Jews. Well, there's three practical things that Gentiles should do. It's not for salvation, but because you are saved, because you've been given grace, you're going to give grace to these guys. So there's three things here that he puts out. First of all, it's on a a spiritual level, on a spiritual level. He says in verse 20, talking to the Gentiles, but um, we're going to write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols. So he's talking about don't have anything to do with anything that's associated with idols, like the worship of pagan idols. There's many Greek gods and Roman gods back then, and people would give offering to to that. It was a cultural kind of thing that everyone did, but there is only one true God, so don't, you know, kind of keep separate for the sake of these Jews. Now, especially in 1 Corinthians 10 and Romans 14, we're talking about a meat that was offered to idols. So many times 
uh, people bring their, their offering, their sacrifice, their meat, offer it to the idol, and then the priest would, would take that later after the rituals are over and then bring it to the, the meat store, the, the butcher guys, and sell it. And they make a little money, and the butchers can take that and sell it. And so uh, you, it's like you go store, and you go, well, hey, uh, I, I'm going to get a good steak here. So you buy the meat. But the Jewish guy would go, wait, you can't eat that. It was offered to an idol. Paul's like, I can eat it. It doesn't bother me. You know, I know, I know idol's not real. But so James is saying not to stumble the Jewish guy. You know what? Stay away from that. Buy some meat that hasn't been offered to the idol. Help them out here. Help them get through this time to grow. So, that's what James is saying here. On a spiritual level, we don't want to stumble them in that way. Secondly, on a moral level, verse 20 goes on to say, and from sexual immorality. Society back then, kind of like today, much sleeping around, all that, crossing the line, what God had intended. So basically, you know, live a pure life as far as in this area of sex. Sad our society today, there's no boundaries, right, on this subject. And we're moving toward more more worse things. And back then, they even had, like, temple prostitutes. And that was accepted. And that was part of their worship. And, 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 and we have to be careful even with this. And I think James is putting this out, is how you, you interpret what that is, you know. Just remember the Jewish guys in that. So on a spiritual level, stay pure, stay away from, you know, those idols. On a moral level, stay pure, stay away from immorality. And then the third thing is on a personal level, and at the end of verse 20 is, and from what has been strangled and from blood. So in Leviticus 18, 6 or 20, the Jews were not to drink the blood or eat the meat of animals that had been strangled, so they'll get some blood in them. Why? Because life is in the blood. And it tied into the atonement. The blood was for the atonement. So in respect to that, they would drain the blood. They make sure there's no blood in that. So uh, um, maybe there was Filipino guys there back then. No, but <laughs> drink the blood. No, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, maybe they had some things, you know, some food in that way. But so James is like, look, you know, on a personal level, yeah, you're okay. But in respect to the Jews, you know what? Don't stumble them. Yeah, keep away from that. You know, um, we were we're saved by grace, so let's give grace in that way, also. All right. So the decision from James was for grace and abstain from things in the name of grace. That's that's what it is. Basically, we're mindful of the other person. We're loving. We're not requiring what we want on top of them, right? I mean, we're straight about the Bible and everything, but it's not like we're making this, you know, all these little things and putting it on top of someone else. So uh, the decision from James was for grace and abstain from things in the name of grace. I was thinking about this, our um, grandson, Manu. He's two years and three months, I think, now. And he still tends to kind of drool like a baby, yeah? And the other day, you know, he'll jump on me, and it's like, you're like drooling all over me. And it's like, you drool on my phone, man. And (laughs) I don't clean it, but anyway, uh, you drool drool on your hand and all that stuff. Well, well, I don't want to sit there and scold him, right? He's a baby. Yeah, it's all right. He's going to grow out of this. So I'm patient. I still play with that. I don't think about that. I don't try and put it in my mind. I'm like, oh, how gross or anything like that. As long as it doesn't get in my mouth. But, uh, you know, you do the best you can. You give grace. Well, that's what it is, you guys, for one another. Sometimes, yeah, other believers, they quote-unquote drool on you. <laughs> right? yeah they're on top of you well you should be like this you better be like this they get a little legalistic on you not about salvational issue but they talk like it 
Yeah? And they won't fellowship with you if you don't do as they think you should be. They act like a toddler. But we love on them the same as anyone else. Even though they may talk like they're very mature, they're not mature, actually. As I mentioned, the Bible says they are weak. They stumble easily. But you know what real maturity is? In the midst of all that craziness, you give grace. You forgive. You love. That's real maturity. That is true maturity. If we're really saved by grace and we understand that, then we must really give that grace also. And I think about, didn't God give us the same grace when we're acting like immature toddlers? Which sometimes I still do. (laughs) Right? Right? Well, as we come to a close, if grace actually costs something, if the amount of grace given was based on on my account of of what I have, of what I earn, you guys, I would would have barely any grace. Right? But I'm so glad it's not. If that's how grace worked, it would not be grace. But there is abundant grace, isn't there? Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. There is abundant grace for you tonight. Where, where are you at? Are you feeling that condemnation? There's grace for you. Do you need forgiveness because you've sinned? Go to the Lord. There's grace for you there. Do you feel insecure tonight? Like you're wondering, does God really care for me? He does. He loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you said, maybe no matter the thoughts only he knows, there's grace for you tonight. No worries. Go to God. It's not an excuse for sin, but it's there for you and me. I'll close with this. A little boy had an accident. He was taken to the hospital. After he was made comfortable, a nurse brought him a large glass of milk. He looked longingly at it, but he did not pick it up. He'd come from a poor home, poor family, where his hunger was seldom satisfied. If he ever received a glass of milk, it was only partly filled, and even that had to be shared with another sibling. Finally, he looked up at the nurse and asked, How deep may I drink? The nurse replied, Drink it all, there's more. Drink it all, you guys. Drink it all. There's plenty grace, and grace is free. Let's pray. Lord, we are encouraged here tonight of your grace, God. Lord, I've been hammering in all of our hearts, but I need to see that too, because the enemy is out there trying to steal away your word, God, to steal the truth of your grace, God, to make it seem like you're this threatening, evil kind of judgmental, always mad at us, God, but it's not. You're a loving God and you're a gracious God. Lord, help us to see how you deal with us in that way. It's not like we did something good and then now you're going to bless our day. Now we don't deserve nothing. But whatever blessings we receive, it's because of your grace, Lord. And when we realize that, God, I am humbled. Let us be humbled tonight before you, Lord. God, your love is overwhelming. God, your grace is free. It flows, Lord, from your heart into our lives. Let us be comforted. Let us be encouraged. Let us be lifted up, picked up so we can get going again in your grace that we can live once more for you, Lord.
But not just live, but to, to, to run, to be on fire, to run our race, to fulfill all that you called us to do, because that, even that is by grace, Lord. For you to use us as your, as your tools to serve you in our calling, God, that is grace. Who, who am I to even be here? God, it's your grace. And how great that grace and wonderful it is, Lord. Thank you, God, that it's free. Thank you that, that we don't have to pay for it or work for it. But that's the very definition of grace. That it's this gift given to the undeserving. Your love, your favor, your blessing. Grace us right now as we close, God. As we come before you. Lord, grace us with your presence. I want to just give a, a few minutes here for just an open time of prayer. God's